Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane with the Brian Kane Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. And today I am uber excited to bring you Jason Fowler, one of the most inspiring athletes on the planet. Over the last four decades, Jason has competed in more than 1,200 endurance races. He's won multiple Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. He's competed in the Boston Marathon 16 times. And before the age of 17, he had already competed in more than 1,000 motocross races, winning eight New England motocross championships. His accomplishments are all the more incredible when you hear Jason's story. He was paralyzed from the chest down following a motorcycle accident when he was just 17 years old. However, within six months, he was competing in endurance races in the hand cycle division. He holds an MBA from Boston University. He's a highly sought after inspirational speaker and mental performance coach. And it is truly an honor and a pleasure to welcome Jason Fowler to the podcast. Jason, thanks for being with us. Thanks, man. I'm super excited to have a conversation with you and, and thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm super excited to have you, you know, and, and Jason, if we kind of go back following your accident as a teenager, you know, you're competing again in less than a year. Would you kind of come back and maybe talk to us about where does that competitive spirit come from from you? Yeah. You know what? I, I, my, my parents from an early age, I, I, the, the relationship I had and, and it was something about always wanting to push myself. And I had that in motocross and it didn't matter if it was motocross, wheelchair racing, whatever it had. So when I had the accident, the first thing that I, that I figured out was that it was about sport. It was about pushing myself. That could have been in anything. And it just happened to be that it was a physical thing and that it was sport, but really for me after my accident. So you can imagine all of a sudden you lose the use of your legs. And so I'm, I'm in the hospital. I'm a couple days post. My mom comes to my hospital bed and she's like, okay, we're going to give you about two weeks to feel bad for yourself. And then we're going to get on with the rehab and get out of here and, and just, you know, and move on with life. And so that was the tone that was set. And so you can imagine, I mean, that's coming from my mom, right? So um, there's sort of like no, no bullshit. And, um, and that's just sort of where I came from. And the same with my dad. I mean, it would be this, it would be the same words that came from him. And, um, and so after the accident, six months later, you can imagine again, losing use of your legs. So you're having to learn everything yourself. Everything's really uncertain. And it was the one thing that I knew how to do was push myself. And so I borrowed a racing wheelchair from a friend of a friend and just started pushing. And man, I was horrible. I was a horrible wheelchair racer to start. And this is coming from a place of, you know, winning championships in motocross and thinking I'm okay, a good athlete. And, and I was humbled. And for me, that was the moment that I forgot about the accident. I forgot about my injury, everything. And it got me back to who I was. And I just lit me up right away. You know, and you've written about this experience, right? Where you said, quote, my injury was just another challenge. Although I was confined to a wheelchair for mobility, I didn't feel like I had any boundaries. Jason, for someone facing their own challenges, how would you encourage them to adopt a similar mindset and to, and to not get discouraged and to not feel sorry for yourself, but to keep pushing forward like you do? Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is, I mean, you know this, Brian, but this is a total inside job, right? This is, is discovering who you are and, and really getting into your dark places of what's holding you back. What are the things that are holding you back? And then more importantly, what are those triggers that are allowing you to sort of move forward and just get those little wins. And as you talk about Brian, right, this is all a muscle, this is all trainable. And these are, for me, it's just 
putting one foot in front of the other. Of course, I'm not walking, right? But putting one arm in front of the other, no pun intended there. And, um, and really um, just little baby steps. And so I think when you just bite off a little bit at a time, everything just comes easy. And when, once you start getting momentum with just the little bites, you're like, all right, I got this. And, um, and then I think once you, you figure that out and you remove the fear, right? Cause you've, you've, you figured out, this is what's holding me back. Like, this is the big thing. And for me, that, that could be the simplest thing. Like you were just told you couldn't do something as a kid or you, whatever that was. And I was told the opposite. So all of a sudden I just had this muscle where I got out and trained every day. I practiced every single day. There wasn't a day that I didn't practice. And so that for me is a muscle that just, it's there no matter what it is. And so you got to figure out what that is for you, what gets you to that. So for, so I think figuring out your fears and then, and then what's moving you forward. No, it's interesting. I had a, had a call this morning um, with, with the Whirlpool Corporation. And we were talking about that exact concept of courageous versus fearless. And a lot of, a lot of people on podcasts and a lot of motivational speakers are going to talk about, you got to be fearless. But is it really fearless or is it courageous? Because I know the first, the first Ironman I did, November 2016, I'm jumping into Tempe Town Lake and I'm terrified. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this thing. I've never pieced together all three of these things at this distance. I'm terrified, but we're going to go find out, right? And I, and I guess in that moment, that was courageous of saying, I have a fear, but I'm going to go anyway. So what, what would be your message around being fearless or, or being courageous and, act, and acting in the face of fear anyway? Yeah. Yeah. You hit it on the head. Uh, I, I was going to go grab it. I just got this hat made that said courage on the top uh, or on the face because um, even now in my life, 29 years after my accident and, you know, been competing for 40 years and I'm 46. Uh, that's, I think probably the number one important thing in my life is continuing to act with courage um, in the face of fear. And I'm always, I won't say I'm always scared, but there's a lot of things that scare me and I've never gotten that to go away. Mm. I've done however many competitions. There's still an element of fear when I'm sitting in the water with 1200 other people treading water, waiting for the Ironman to start. Like it's a little scary. It's a little daunting. Like, so there's, there's never, and I think it's just finding a way to be, you're just so prepared that you channel that fear and you have the muscle to overcome it because you can just, you know what that next step is and you just run a program. So for me, it's, I run a program to overcome that fear and it's just putting my, my, my head in the right space um, to get, to get to that next step. Oh man, so much good stuff coming out here. I want to, I want to come back to running a program, but something that you said that I always try to kind of connect episodes, right? Because on this podcast, we have world champions like yourself and we had a UFC world champion named Rich Franklin. And Rich in his podcast talked about the same thing. He said, this guy was a world champion in mixed martial arts fighting. He's fought his last probably 15 fights were all against guys ranked in the top five in the world. And the fear never goes away. George St. Pierre will say the same thing when he gets on here. The fear never goes away. And these are the, these are the best guys in the world like yourself. So, you know, he said, what you, what you mentioned was the preparation. He's like, I'm ter- I'm scared. There's a fear element, but I'm prepared. So I'm confident at the same time. And I think you can say that confidence and fear are not mutually exclusive. It's not that you're confident or you're afraid. It's you can be both at the same time. Would you agree with that? Yeah. 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 For me, it's always about, sort of harnessing that fear. And, and honestly, uh, I'll, I'll, the first time I did Ironman 2004 and I hadn't done that distance before and I wasn't comfortable with the distance and I wasn't, 
I didn't, I was unsure if I really was unsure going into this race and I let the fear get to me to where a little, I got into the swim. I got my nerves were there and I got so seasick in the swim and I was so nervous. I literally, it took me like an extra 40 minutes, which is why I did not finish my first Ironman. And I let fear get to me. It took over me. And, 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 um, and that was, I think a lack of preparation and just being green and a, a few other things, but absolutely. If you let it take you over, it will, it will, it will, it'll debilitate you and you won't perform to your best. And, um, and then if you use it right, it provides a fire where you're like, bring it, let's go. You know, learning to use, yeah. Learning to use fear as fuel is magic. You know, if you can learn to use fear as fuel, you, you can be, have, and do anything you want, but you have to have something to go to. And you mentioned running a program. What do you mean run a program? Yeah. You know what? I think it's because I've practiced it so many times. So I, so my visualization, my rehearsal, my mental rehearsal includes sitting on the, before the start, well, first running through the entire day. And it's really understanding that I've got 2000 other athletes that are sitting there at the starting line with me. The first thing I think about is I close my eyes and I'm like, they're all really nervous too. And so all of a sudden it puts me at comfort. I'm like, Oh, you know what? Everybody next to me, they're probably more nervous. And I, and I tell the story a lot, but Heinz Ward, MVP, Super Bowl football player. Most people know who he is, right? He did his first Ironman. I, he's he, in, I think it was 2016. Uh, I look over at him at the starting line at the start of the Ironman and we're all treading water for about four or five minutes. And there's buoys in the middle where they're holding in sort of in this galley. And I look over at him and uh, he's got a death grip on the buoy and he's got this look of fear in his eyes. And I'm like, and I give him like the thumbs up and he's kind of like, I mean, he couldn't even crack a smile. And this is the Super Bowl MVP that, you know, I've got 400 pound men running at him and, and, you know, talk about fear. Like, I'm not sure how it worked out for him, but I know he wasn't calm and cool and relaxed at the start of that race. So um, seeing that, so anyways, you know, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, you're running the program, running the program. Oh yes. Yeah. So, so for me, the program is, um, uh, is I've practiced it mentally rehearsed it so many times is, is exactly what that would feel like. And I let it overtake me and I'm like, okay, that's what it would feel like if it overtook me at the start. And it made me nervous to where you get so many butterflies in your stomach where you you know, you're just not going to perform at your best and it's going to take energy from you. It's so like, okay, what would that feel like? And then I think about, okay, what would it feel like if I didn't let that happen? But I still am visualizing the same things happening. And then I'm visualizing a big wave come and hit me in the head and knock me over. Or five people run over me at the start. And I'm like, okay, so I've just practiced it a hundred times. And so I've made that real in my head. Okay, well, how would I react to that? Oh, I, that would be fine. You know what? I'm, I'd lose my breath for a second. My goggles would come off. Uh, you know, they would fill up with water. And then... And then, okay, what's the next part of the program? And so I just keep running through that. And then that between actually mentally rehearsing it in my mind and actual racing, just experience, I've already done it. I've done every combination of what would happen in a race. And again, there's always going to be things that you can anticipate, but it's just coming from that mindset after a while, you develop that muscle of just being, everything is figure outable. Like everything on the fly is just figure about it. No matter what it is, you have this sort of, and I love this word. I don't know where I got it or came up with just this cognitive flexibility that you're just morphing with whatever comes your way, like emotions. The other thing is what I do, and this is part of the program I run it before a race specifically, is, is I picture myself in a bubble 
where like emotions, energy, I'm just like in this bubble where nothing can stop me. I'm like, okay, this is my path right here. It's just in this bubble where nothing's going to affect me. I don't care what anybody else is doing. Yeah, I'm going to feed off their energy, but I'm going to let it affect me in any way, anyway. And so that it's just me, the day, the course, everything. And what that does is it allows me to get to that starting line. And that could be for anybody, any competition, right? Just get to that starting line as prepared as ever. I think that's the toughest thing is just getting there. No nerves, your nutrition's right, your digestion is right. Everything is just perfect. It's just, it's been planned. It's already predetermined. It's like, you're there. That's you're the program. And you're yeah. trusting that preparation. You're controlling the things that you can control. And when, so when I hear you say now running a program is it's you mentally visualizing and preparing for everything that could go that day. And the beautiful thing is you didn't say, I see myself winning the Ironman and getting the lay put around my neck. You're like, no, I see myself getting trampled, my goggles falling off and me having to get back out, put them back on and continue. So, so I, would, I would refer to that as contingency planning in that everyone wants to visualize winning the race. Nobody ever talks about visualizing all the shit that can go wrong during the race and how you're going to handle it. And that's exactly what you said, which I think is so key for our listeners to understand that visualization isn't just the outcome. It's visualization of everything that gets you to the outcome. Is it, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that because you know what, if you get caught up in the outcome too much, you sort of forget about being in the moment of, I mean, in the Ironman, I'm on, I'm on the bike seven hours, six and a half hours. There's no way you get through just using. So I'm paralyzed from the chest down. I have no core, abs, lower back. There's no way you don't overuse those muscles. So if you're not in the moment, there's no way you get through the last 30 miles of <laughs> end cycle race. So like you have to be in the moment. And if you're constantly thinking about the finish or being done, you're just not going to maximize that moment. You're not going to push yourself to that limit feel it and then be like, okay, you know what? That's was my limit, but what's the next moment's limit and just continuing to push that. So you have to be in that moment. You just, it's too easy to get lost with some fairy dust thing of the crowd and everything else. Like you just tune that out and you're just like, okay, what's in the, in the moment. And that, again, that doesn't mean you're, you're blind to the energy around you, fans screaming at you, using that energy in a positive way, but you only let what you've decided to let in affect you. And that could be, I, I love that for team sports. You, could, you don't have to let a competitor bring you down. You don't have to let the crowd, you don't have to have let a home court advantage affect you. It's all in you, but you have, to, you have to practice that. You have to bring it out. And for me, it just you just run the program. You're like, okay, here it is. I already put in, I wrote the code. Yeah. No one else is going to affect me. I've already predetermined what my, I've already preset my mindset going in that no matter what gets said, no matter what happens, I'm going to be able to adapt and adjust and get back into my program, flat tire back into my program. Someone makes a rude comment back into my program. I, I, I throw up because my stomach's not working the way it needs to that day during the race yeah. back into my program. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And you know, the, where, what I was just thinking about that is, is, um, I've never been the strong, I've never been the best athlete. First of all, when I first started motocross, I was horrible for the first four years. Like I'm, I'm talking like last place all the time. And, uh, same with wheelchair racing, same with anything else I've done. It's just always taken me longer. I've never just been a natural athlete, but there's something inside that mentally I'm like, okay, I can figure this out. And so it just gives me this, this confidence around that. And, um, and for me, it's about getting out there and doing your best and continuing to push that forward. So what I learned early, and this took a long time for me to get like a really long time 
was that, you know, I had this thing of, uh, I wanted to win a world championship and I was like, okay. And so it took me basically six straight years to try to make, to get to a world championship. And I, and I, I went to the first Ironman, I failed. So I didn't make the bike cut off because you have to finish the swim in a certain amount of time, cumulatively the swim in the bike in a certain amount of time. And I wasn't fast enough on the bike. And I had that swim that I got seasick and took me an extra 30 minutes. And um, so there's five miles. I'll, I'll just tell this brief story. So I'm five miles left in the bike. A course official comes out. I just took six months off to train only for the Ironman in between business school and, and starting a, a new corporate job. A, a race official comes out in front of me, puts his hand out and is like, sorry, man, you got to stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, what? Like there's five miles left, right? He's like, sorry, man, you're, you didn't make the cutoff. Like there's like this sort of cutoff in the bike course. And, um, he's like, your day's done. He's like, I'm sorry. And, um, we get into the sagging wagon, which, you know, we call the person that is the last van that's picking up the laggards. Right. And, um, I get in the van, he goes, Hey man, I'm sorry. I knew where you came from. He goes, this happened to me. And he goes, it took me 10 years to get back to this place. And I'm going, well, I'm, I just kept in my mind. I'm like, oh, sorry, man. And, but I said, listen, I'm coming back here next year. I'm going to qualify and come back here again. And, and you know, Brian, as being in the triathlon world, how hard it is to qualify for Kona. And um, I'm like, I'm coming back here next year. I'm going to finish this thing. It took me three years to get back to that place. I went to the trials, which is another really long story. But I went back to three different years of trials, five different races, Europe, US. I went to all the trials I could, the races I get to qualify. I never qualified. And, um, and then got back to the Ironman in 2008 and, um, got second place and you think, oh man, I'm going to feel amazing about this. Um, which I didn't second place. My goal was to win. And, um, again, focused on the end result, killed myself for another year, went back in 2009, won my first world championship. And, um, I say all this because it, it, um, I got done and yeah, it felt amazing to win a world championship, right? But I was empty. I was like, oh, I forgot why I was doing it. I was so focused on the end result. I totally lost sight of why I was racing, why I was competing, why I was doing this in the first place. And again, like I put my head down and worked really hard. I learned all these lessons and life skills and I wouldn't put, I wouldn't have done that any other way. But now fast forward 11 years, it took maybe a few more years to figure that out after that. But it's about the process. It's about being as good as you can but that also increasing and using that intensity and harnessing that. And um, that for me has been the lesson. Like that's was the, that was the mental part. It's like, how do you still win, but then do it for a long time? Like the guys that do it forever. That's what I'm inspired by now. That fires me up. Anyways, that was a long winded story of just saying like, I've never been the most talented athlete, but man, when you put your head to it, it it, it doesn't mean I don't still want to win, but I know that I'm always not the most talented, but I'm going to outwork the other guy and I'm going to be more consistent than anybody else to bring out the best that I have. And I've just figured out what those, those keys are. You know, and it, talk about the passion for the marathons, the triathlons, the ultra endurance game. Cause you know, I, I don't know if anybody as an athlete, like maybe, maybe you're different. When I, when I first started doing the Ironman, I'm like, it's going to be a one and done. And now it's like all I want to do. Like, I can't get enough. I just, lo I love the lifestyle. I love the people that you get to meet, the, the, what yeah. you learn about yourself, you know? So the passion for, for marathon and triathlon that I, that I've achieved, 
or, or have caught, I guess you would say, I never in my wildest dreams thought that this would be, would be something I was really into. Where, yeah. When did you discover your passion for the marathon and the triathlon and kind of the ultra endurance game? Yeah. You, you know what it was? I think it was just early on when I first started getting into wheelchair racing where I did my 10 K a half marathon. It was that challenge of, of man, this is really hard. Like no matter who you are, no matter how fast you are, it always felt like it was hard and it felt like it was a challenge. And, um, and so it was after my first marathon where I was like, wow, this is like, this is like seriously, like, I can't imagine how it would ever be easy. And then sort of fast forward, I did 30 marathons in 10 years and it was like, okay, these are kind of, I won't say easy, but they got easy. Um, and then for whatever reason, I don't know, it, it, it's a cut for me. It's a combination of, it always forces me to grow. There's always a part of that. I haven't figured out. Like th- there's always some pick, there's something left. There's like, there's always something there to accomplish and grow that combined with the lifestyle of being healthy and the endorphins that are flowing. I mean, you, everybody, most of your listeners know that work out really hard and you work out hard consistently, how good you feel when you're in really good shape. And when you, especially for Ironman shape where, you know, right now I'm not in the best shape. So I'll go out and do three hours on my bike. It'll hurt. And it's hard work when I'm in Ironman shape, like three or four hours, you're just like, felt like I didn't even do anything. It's like effortless. And so when you can, when you have that sensation and you know how good it feels to be at your peak performance, just mentally, physically, and you're like, I'm just in, I'm just, there's nothing can beat me. Nothing feels better. And when you have just even a small sensation of that, for me, it's like, just keep bringing it. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how I'm ever going to stop. Um, which, you know, there's other components of that, which I want to do other things. But, um, but yeah, so that it just, man, it's addicting. It's just, yeah. it's so addicting. You know, and, and I'm, I'm curious because when you, so you're swimming all pretty much upper body, you get out, you get out yeah. of the water and you're on kind of the recumbent bike where you're laying down on the bike and then you get yeah. into the wheelchair for the run. Yeah. And so everything is arms. And is the, is, the, is the motion of you on the recumbent bike when you're doing the bike versus in the chair when you're doing the run, is that motion different enough where you're engaging different <laughs> muscles or is it the same pattern the whole time? Uh, you know what? Um, well, first of all, the swim to the bike, it's brutal. I mean, it's almost all the same muscles. And so, um, it takes me about 40 minutes after the swim to like, just feel my arms again. <laughs> it's like the first, I'd say hour, 30, 40 minutes, hour of the bike is it's just brutal. Like you're just, I have to spin a lot higher and just sort of get the lactic acid out. And, um, and for whatever reason, I love the race chair cause it's just been always my happy place. And I've done so many marathons and so many miles and that I'm really comfortable in that. So I look forward to that. And I've always been the fastest in the, the marathon and the race. Like it's, it's just my happy place. I'm like, just bring it. And I'm also, I'm always, I get better as the day goes. Like I'm faster at the end of the day than the beginning of the day, just cause I'm just prepared and I'm ready. And I'm just, that's just, it's in me. And, um, but it, it's a lot of the same muscle groups, uh, from the bike to the chair, but I've learned ways to like position myself and really just work it so that you can switch on different ones. And so that just may mean hand, like a, you can imagine I'm going like this literally for seven straight hours in the same position. There's just no way you don't get overuse. And so what you do is you hold it a little differently. You literally, and this is going to sound funny to some people, but you're literally telling your body what to do. You're like, okay, my arms are cramping. I'm going to use my upper back more now. I'm going to use my lats. I'm closing my eyes. I'm just like, and I literally, I'm, I'm telling my muscles 
to do a certain thing literally out loud. And you'd be amazed at how you can then switch on different muscles. If you're fatiguing one area, you can transferring it to another area just by a different breath, holding it a little longer. You know, there's all these different techniques that you can transfer that load and that resistance to other parts and you can free yourself up. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, I heard that as a strategy, right? Because I think what the, the thing I want listeners to get here is that this is success in anything, whether it's triathlon, business, speaking, coaching. It's a strategy game, not a talent game. It's not an inborn talent game. Like you've said multiple times, you're not the best athlete out there. You weren't when you motocross, you weren't when you got into, into wheelchair racing or triathlon, but through time on task and preparation and lifestyle, you have ascended to be a world champion. So it's not a talent game. It's a strategy game. And you know, the, the other triathlete who I'm sure you're familiar with James, the iron cowboy, James Lawrence, you know, who did, who did 50, I mean, we got to get this guy on the podcast, 50 yeah. full length Ironmans, 50 yeah. days, 50 States. There's a documentary on Netflix called the iron cowboy. It's wild. And one of my friends, Zach Sorensen, who we've had, we had on the podcast, he's an NPM certified coach as well. He yeah. is the head of the Atlanta Braves. And they're, they both, I think, live in, I know Zach lives in Utah, and I think James Lawrence lives in Utah as well. And yeah. he, heard him, he heard the Iron Cowboy speak one time, and he actually said the same thing. He said, yeah, so sometimes when I'm running, I think about using my calves. And sometimes I'm running, I think about using my quads or my hamstrings or my glutes. Yeah. And if I start to cramp or get, get sore, I just shift the muscle group that I'm running with. And Zach yeah. called me and goes, Does that, like, do you do that? I said, no, I've never heard of that. But then that, when I went out and tried it on a run, it's like mentally you can kind of activate different muscles or, or you at least are thinking that you are and putting yourself in that place where you're getting some of that recovery. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. First, I'll, I'll tell a true story, but then, I, man, first of all, that guy, Iron Cowboy, oh, 50 Ironman. If you can imagine, I mean, for those of anybody that does endurance races, like words just can't do that guy justice. I mean, like just amazing. Um, the other component, I love that the, the, the strategy of that. And, um, the other thing that you can do and you just get good at this over time as the, the more you practices. And I love this for even team sports or, uh, more like high strenuous basketball, um, fast twitch type sports stuff is literally, you can be like, I'm like, okay, strong bicep, strong arms or strong back or strong neck. And you would be amazed at how your body responds to, to just telling it strong, whatever that is. So empowering words and then whatever the muscle group is or, or whatever activity is, you just put strong, the word strong in front of it. And it creates this energy and you may not notice at first and then, or you may notice it. It's incredible what you can tell your body to do with just sort of these commands. It, it, I've just started playing with it. Uh, this past Ironman and training and then be the race. And it got me through a brutal last 40 miles where I had an injury and I didn't think I was going to finish. And um, anyways, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, it's like a mantra of having something that you say to yourself. Is that, let's, let's talk about that as another strategy of, you know, when you're in this endurance sport and you're going, do you have like a part of your program, self-talk or a mantra, a mantra, something that you say to yourself over time. And uh, Mark Devine, who is a former Navy SEAL, Navy SEAL commander, author of um, the book, The Way of the SEAL. And, you know, he, he talks about when he was going through Hell Week and Buds, he would say to himself, looking good, feeling good, I should be in Hollywood. And it was, <laughs> that was one of the books that I listened to when I was training for my first Ironman. I remember being on the run and saying to myself, looking good, feeling good, I should be in Hollywood. And I just started laughing like 138 yeah. miles into this race. And it was so, so 
uh, opening, eye-opening for me to say, okay, I have this mantra that I go to and it may make no sense and it may be funny and it may be silly and stupid, yeah. but it worked. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I've had a few that I've tried and honestly, I've dri- driven myself a little nuts out there with it. And so I've stopped it um, for Ironman because I, um, <laughs> I totally got it stuck in my head. And you can imagine like saying the same thing to yourself for 11 straight hours or like, you know, close to it. And um, I was like, man, you got to start thinking about something else out there. And so now uh, if I go to a dark place or I just need something, I just, I bring a sensation in rather than, um, uh, for me, it, it, it does the same thing, but I just bring a sensation of your best. So I, I just kind of say, okay, your best. And I have this sensation that it's almost like it just rips through like 40 years of good memories. Hmm. And so it's just, it, for me, that's the program. And um, it, it happens in an instant, like a literally a split second, but it would be the, if you can compile 40 years of your best memories and it just brings a sensation to you, that's like this deep, amazing feeling. And it just, it aligns me like that. So I can, I can do that at any point before an important business meeting, before a race, in the middle of a race and where I found that I could do it, or this is where I developed it. Um, there's been a couple times where I got to mile 90 of the, of the, um, bike of the marathon or the Ironman. And it, I've only done Hawaii, right? So I just, I, I always explain it as the course. And so you come up onto the queen K you basically, you make this last right turn and then there's about 30 miles left in the race, right? 32 miles left. And, um, the wind is always blowing in your face at that point. So that's where, for me, the race starts. It's like 80 mile, 83, I think of the race. And, um, and there's been, there was a year where I just didn't have it. I was like, I, I'm done. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. And so I, I get about a mile up the street and I pull into the aid station and there's one of these baby kiddie pools there and it's full of ice. And I'm like, Hey, Hey, Hey. And like, I don't usually stop for more than 10 seconds. So this whole stop took me about 15 seconds. And I, I had the guy just put ice and he stuffed it into my shirt, which you can imagine how much, like, like what that would do to your body. And it just like shocked me. It woke me up. It got me back. Cause I started seeing triple. I was dizzy. I couldn't put, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't continue. Like I just was so dizzy and I had drank so much. Cause when you're out there on the bike for seven hours, I drink about 16 water bottles full of stuff. And so you can imagine what your stomach feels like. And you stop absorbing after a certain point. Right. And I had done all the training. I knew what I was supposed to take. I, and, um, I didn't think I was going to make it. I was like, okay, how do I just keep going? How do I just keep going? I was like 30 miles. Like, and that's a long ways, right? 30 miles. You don't just crawl. You don't crawl for 30 miles. And so I just was like, okay, one pedal stroke in front of the other. And I just kept thinking of every good thing that have ever happened to me. I was like, all right, what good thoughts can I think right now? And I just kept going through that program. I was like, and after that race, I was reflecting. I was like, man, those moments of all those good things that happened to me got me through the next like three miles, uh, which I couldn't take in in any fluids. And then I, I made it three miles. I stopped at the next aid station, got a Gatorade, which I never drink, which is just full of sugar. And it brought me back to life. And I could finish the last 20 and I was fine. I got back on pace and I was fine. But there was just that 20 minute period where I, I just died and I needed to mentally compose myself. And it was just that flashback of like all these amazing memories that were happening and it, and then I can get it. I have a sensation from that where it just, it brings me right into it. And I just, bam, like, I mean, I'm in state, like my self-talk, I don't even have to self-talk. I'm just like, bam, state in a split second, but you, you just have to practice it. 
and it you just get it. Sounds and like it, you've had some NLP training. It sounds like a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I and I've never I haven't done any actually. And yeah. I, but yeah, that's from so what I know. Essentially, what essentially what it sounds like, right? Is you're able to pull yourself back into a state, whether you, whether you call it NLP or David Goggins, who I'm sure you're familiar with in the ultra endurance world, he would call it his yeah. cookie jar. You know, and going into the cookie jar of all the things that you have overcome and the things that you have done well in your life, and like in a split second, you're able to just go, "This is all the things that I've done. I'm in the cookie jar, or I'm running the program, and here we go." That you know, I I'm, I'm going to do this. Yeah. It's yeah. having something to go to strategies, you know, and um, a couple other things I think to, to, to stay with the concept of the endurance is, you know, endurance racing, it's mental, it's physical. It, I, I like to say it's spiritual because you're out there and I, and I don't know if this ever happens to you, but there'll be times where like, I'll be in the middle of a race and I just get overwhelmed with gratitude and I just start crying. And it's like, it's just like an emotional release because you're so excited to be out there and what you're doing. Does that ever happen for you? Yeah. You know what? Um, I always, the, what I say to people when you do an Ironman is that you're literally living a lifetime in a race. Yeah. There's, there's periods of time. And for me, the, the goal is always to keep, how do I keep just a steady state where I don't get too high, where I use too much energy? Cause if you're sprinting in the middle of an Ironman, you're in trouble, which there's, I've seen competitors do that and they drop me. And then you definitely see them like an hour later, maybe two hours later, or maybe three hours later, or maybe four hours later, you know, whatever it is. So we're right these races are these hundred milers or whatever these people are doing. Right. And, um, so you just get yourself, um, in the state where there's times where I feel amazing. I'm awesome. I'm doing good. This is effortless. I'm like, I can do this all day. No problem. And then you get ahead of yourself and you lose focus. You start giving too much energy. You get off your pacing, whatever that is. There's other times where I see my family out there and it just, it brings an emotion to me and I'm crying a little, like you said, and I was like bawling, crying. I'm like, what am I doing? There was a time where I, I, I was winning, about to win my first Ironman and I saw my competitor, uh, I'm at mile 14 of the race and um, I see him, he had dropped me and just pulled away. And, um, and I was like, okay, just keep within yourself. You got to sort of keep a level head throughout this thing. I saw him like a mile and a half ahead and I just started bawling, crying. Cause I had like, I knew it. I was like, I'm going to win. Like, that's it. It was already been determined. Cause I, you know, you just have a sensation or whatever it is, or there's other times where you're screaming and laughing and you're joking or you're screaming at people or I'm angry. That's another thing. I love using anger. Yeah. Like just getting pissed and like, there's nothing that fires me up more than just firing yourself up and getting angry and <laughs> screaming. I have this, some videos of me just like raging out there. I mean, whatever you can to use yourself to like, just get to another level. Um, for me, anger will do it, especially at a start, but you got to channel it. Otherwise you, you could use way too much energy than, than you should be using, especially an endurance event. But when you got to dig deep and you got nothing left. So when you're just, when you're just stripped raw and you're crying and you're emotional and you're like, I can't do this. And you're like, I'm done. I saw it on ESPN. I forget who the fighter was, but he's like, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, this clip over the weekend. And, and, um, his trainer's like, no, you're not your champion. And the guy's just done. He's stripped raw. Like, what do you do at that moment? When you get, you have to have a program that you run if you want to continue. And, um, it's, it's, it's deciding ahead of time in the moment when you're hurting and you're toast and you got nothing left in you and there's blisters on your feet and you, you know, you've already put in duct tape over them and you've already done everything you can. Like, how do you then get to another level? It's, you know, it's up there and it's like, how do you pull into that next realm? Uh, just knowing that 
no matter what it is, just know that there's always another level. Yeah. There's always another level and there's always, there's always, it's having something to go to when you get to that dark place or having something to go to when you get to that place where you're distracted or whatever it is to bring you back. But also, you know, I got this piece of advice when I, when I did my first 100 mile run, first and only hundred mile run. And they said, you're going to, you're going to go in waves. They're like at mile 15, you might feel terrible and want to quit. But at mile 50, you might feel like you just got started and freshest you've been all race. And he's like, just know that this too shall pass. It's going to come and go. Is it the same way for you where like you kind of have the peaks and valleys throughout the day and you know that they're going to change? Yeah, totally. And I had that same piece of advice when I first started triathlon. They're like, no matter what you're like, no matter what it is, don't get attached to anyone feeling because it's not going to last. Because mm-hmm. um, it's you just have to be able to roll with that. And you know what? Um, as you were saying that, it brought up something for me. And you were saying it at the beginning, like it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter sport. I love taking that into real life mm. or taking it into your process of you're going to hit the hard stuff. If you determine it before it happens, like what you're going to do, how you're going to respond you just run that program when that hard stuff happens and it gets you through that. And again, that doesn't mean you don't feel it. That doesn't mean you don't experience it. That doesn't mean you don't take it to heart. But for me now, it's like, how do I get through the hard stuff in life? Feel it and then move on. I'm like, I want to get through those things easier. I want to make it to the next level. I want to get to, I want to be a better coach. I want to be a better partner. I want all these things. I want to be a better athlete, but I want to go through those levels faster. I'm like, all right, it only happens when you, grow, which means you're putting yourself in resistance and hard things. So how do you get used to that? But then how do you get past it quicker? I'm like, how do I, I'm like, all right, I'm done with that. Like I want, I want more. And so I want, like, how do I get that? So for me, that's how do I bring that into everyday life, which is like, how do you bring the, you know, the sort of the skill of sport into everyday life for high performers, you know, across all industries, it's, it's the same process. It's exactly, you know, this, right. I mean, this is like, Awesome. I love thinking about that. It just empowers you to think, man, if I'm successful in anything else, like it's just a process that you went through that you can replicate to any other part of your life. And man, that just excites me because it it just makes me feel invincible. Like there's just nothing that can stop getting in my way. And that's what that for me was the program I ran after I had my accident. I was like, you know what? I just did it for the last 11 years of motocross. I went from the worst to, you know, going to be a professional and, and having a good shot at, at being a professional. And um, yeah, that like gets me fired up. I'm like, there's nothing we can't do when you have it figured out. And, you, and, you, and you've taught, you know, when you say there's nothing you can do when you have, when you, there's nothing that you can't do when you have it figured out and you've, you've got it figured out, you know, you're a world champion, the best in the world of what you do. And you've made these mental performance practices. And I think, you know, when you, a part of your daily life outside of just the endurance racing. And I think when you say things like running a program, um, you know, the visualization that you talked about earlier, the cognitive flexibility and being able to adapt and adjust and, you know, having something to go to when you're riding those peaks and valleys, that's not just an endurance thing or a motocross thing. That's a life thing. And Jason, you've made mental performance practices a part of your daily life as well as your competitive life. What are some of those mental performance techniques that you do like on a day-to-day basis outside of competition just in everyday life? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that um, because coaching for me has been new in the last year. And, um, and so I, I've really been trying to, to, to um, take what I learned in sport and bring it to this new business and the coaching. And, and, um, and I've naturally done that. And I was like, 
oh, I didn't even know I did that. It's just something that I did. And so figuring those things out, um, the things that I do on a daily basis, I mean, first it's, it's, it's my routine. So it's, it's, um, it's what my morning looks like and how I start it. And it's, but it most of the, one of the things, the most important thing for me is how am I treating my body? So like if I'm physically, and this is, it's magnified by using a wheelchair because you, um, you sort of run this slippery slope of when you let your body go, it goes really quick, meaning like fitness, health, what you eat and all these things. And so for me, it's how do I get myself physically in a state that I just feel good when I'm physically feeling good. It's kind of like, um, the sensation you get when you have like, for me, I'm really sensitive to caffeine. So I have one sip of caffeine and it just like jolts through you. Where like, I liken it to that where it just feels good. Right. Right. You're like, you're relaxed. Like you're attentive. You're just, you're, you're like in this peak state. And so for me, it's like, how do I keep my body in this peak state the most possible? And that gives me the best chance of, of rolling with the punches when something, you know, happens in my day where I'm like, oh man, are you kidding me? Like that happened again or this, whatever, whatever's having to deal with in life. Cause there's always going to be stuff that comes up and that's the stuff that brings you down. And so how do you deal with that quicker? And for me, just physically being in a good state, and so it's treating my body well. So it's, it's what I put in my body. I've been a vegetarian for uh, eight years now. And um, that seems for me is gives me more energy. And again, it, maybe that's not for everybody, but it's just the attention, the obsessive compulsive sort of um, behavior around just like, how do I be better? And um, so for a period of time, it was like, what am I putting in my body and experimenting exactly what, what that is. So for me, it's, I'm eating for fuel, not for you know, food can be art, right? I mean, it, if it tastes good, awesome. Like, and, and you can still have really healthy food now. I mean, there's so many amazing chefs and everything else. Like you can have food that tastes amazing. That's still really healthy for you. And so I've really been obsessed with just how do I eat the best so that I feel really good. And, um, and the other thing is, uh, for me, especially I'm using my arms, right? My shoulders, like if I'm not taking care of myself, if I'm not investing my time and money in body work, stretching, um, getting stronger, all those things, like then I, I'm really doing myself a disservice. And people always say like, oh, I'm getting old. That's why these hurt. And this is why my joints hurt. This is why this, it's like, well, yeah, you know what? Things do wear out and I'm, I'm here to say yes. But I'm also the guy that's been doing Ironman with just his arms for 14 years. And, <laughs> and like, it's about doing the work on a daily basis. So I just have like some bands and I, I literally, I have like $75 with the workout gear that I use every day that keeps me sort of balanced and shoulders in good shape and stretch out. And, and of course I, I do invest in massage and body work and resistance stretching and have tried ART and Kihara. And I mean, so you just, you go down the rabbit hole. I'm on, I'm the guy on YouTube at night, um, researching body work and specialists and always looking for the next best thing. I'm also the guy that obsesses over the tires that he puts on his racing wheelchair and by the grams and, and, you know, it, it probably had like 16 or 17 hours worth of research on the type of tire that I was going to use for the race and for the different, you know, so like I'm thinking of every scenario to be better. And so I do that with my body and now I don't have to obsess about it. So like I obsessed about it, I learned everything I could and now I know what works for me. I know what doesn't work for me. And I just create those habits into my life. And it, again, these things have happened over a period of time. This just doesn't happen overnight. But when you have that mindset of, I want my body to be better and nobody can do anything without first taking care of their body and taking care of themselves. I've heard you talk about this brand. I've heard some, 
stories about you talking about, you know, being overweight and, mm-hmm. and how that weighed you down. So I, I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, yeah, 100%, you know, and it was, it, it was, I had an obsession with being a high school athletic director and working. And that obsession led me to not paying attention to any other aspects of my life. And I got to 240 pounds. And I remember driving to the airport with a 42 inch waist and my button picked off, hit the windshield and landed on the dashboard. (laughs) As today, as I was changing as my wife yesterday, my wife yesterday bought me a pair of shorts. Um, and I put them on. I'm like, these are too big. She's like, they're 32s. I go, it's beautiful. They're too big. So, you know, so I went from a damn 44 to a 30, right? And I'm probably somewhere between a 30 and 32. I mean, everybody's, everybody different brand, Nike, Adidas, whatever, they're all going to have different sizes, yeah. but it's somewhere, probably a 32 would be a safe guesstimate. But I mean, from 240 to 180, man, that's 60 pounds. That's a quarter of a human being gone. Where did it go? I have no idea, but I don't ever want it to come back. So when you talk about being obsessed, it's, it's also, I think, being intentional, and you talked about being obsessed with the type of tires that you have, but you're a world champion. So you should be obsessed with those sort of things, right? Where yeah. you're yeah. obsessed with the little details that are going to give you that competitive advantage, but it's an intentional obsession. And I think yeah. a mistake a lot of people make is their obsessions are with a reality TV show instead of the reality of their own life. Their obsession is with chasing a feel-good from a bottle or a bag of chips instead of a feel-good lifestyle. Their obsession is with the New Year's resolution instead of a lifestyle and how they're going to go about their business on a daily basis. You know, And yeah. I think that obsession tied with intention and, and tied with the meaning of why. You know, and why are you doing what you're doing? I've always wondered, man, I've always wanted to ask other, other high level athlete. I shouldn't say high level athletes because I'm not a high level athlete. I've always wanted to ask people who are much better at what they do than I am in the endurance world, this question. Cause I always wonder, sometimes I wonder, am I racing? Like I, I would always say, am I racing from something? Am I racing to something? Yeah. Or am I just racing, man? Am I just racing because I like to race? And it's not like, it's not always positive. It's not always negative. Sometimes it just is. It just is what it is, right? So it's like, am I racing to? Am I racing from? Or am I just racing, man? What are your thoughts on the two from just racing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've gone back and forth on this. And um, uh, I heard that the statement was, um, what are you running from? What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to prove by doing this? And I thought, wow, what am I trying to prove? And I think there was a period of time where I was trying to prove myself that I could do it. And I was trying to prove to the world that a wheelchair wasn't going to hold me back. And there was that time. And then, and then I realized, you know what, this isn't a long-term solution to my happiness or fulfillment after winning the Ironman world championships. And then going like, what's next? Like I just not fulfilled. And so I said, on this quest of like, okay, what's important. And so that, that came up for me. It's like, why am I racing? Am I trying to prove something? And then what I thought is, you know what? I just love this process. I love the process of growing no matter what that is. And this for me is an amazing outlet um, for several different reasons. And, it, and, it, and, you know, at some point maybe doing 145 or 140 miles and training 20 hours a week for years, like isn't going to suit me and I'm not there yet, but I'm sure I, I'll get there and I want to do something else and, and sort of focus on another process, kind of like the coaching component. I'm like, okay, now I'm, I'm really starting to become obsessed with coaching and how do I make other people better and, and really figuring that out for others and, and using what I've learned, um, to do that. Um, and so for me, my why is just, I'm growing to be my best, whatever that is. And I know that 
I just have this, this is where the spiritual component comes for me. Like I know that, that it was supposed to happen that I, I had an accident and I had, I landed on my head. I, even though I wouldn't wish it on myself, I wouldn't change it now. Mm. It would happen for a reason. I truly believe it happened for a reason because I, I'm here to serve in another way. I'm here to do something else. And I just feel like when I'm at my best, I attract my best and the world around me benefits from that. You know, just like when you're at your best and you're coaching, I mean, man, the people I'm benefited from the things I've already heard on your podcast and your, your certification and, and the program that you've done. It's like when you're at your best, man, the people around you also it helps them be their best. And it, we all, we don't even know what that is. I'm, I'm not smart enough to know exactly what I'm supposed to do or who I'm supposed to meet, but I just know that I'm, when I'm at my best and I'm growing, it all starts to work out. And it like, and you, you know that because people are telling you like, Hey, you're doing a good job, man. Like, thank you so much for that. That just changed my life. And that what's fired me up. But I wanted to circle back before I forget it. Cause I, my mind is starts going about what you said about like being obsessed with the, those other things about TV and all those other things and junk food and video games. And I mean, I seeing professional athletes playing video games. I'm going, Oh my God, like there's other things that are so much more impactful. Not that you don't have your play time and everything else, but but man, it is so easy to get sucked in now with our phones and all those other things. And um, for me now, it's it's if you want to be your best, like you have to be stronger than your environment. And for me, I've set up this rule for myself that, and I don't know if this is good or bad because it you could be hard on yourself sometimes, or I can be hard on myself sometimes, and that um, not giving myself a break about things. And um, is that um, uh, if I'm not giving my best or like if I'm, if I'm not stronger than my, my, my environment on a daily basis, like I'm okay one here or there and giving myself a break, like I'm going to have a drink here. Or I'm going to watch TV and not do my work that I should be doing here. Cause I'm, I just need a mental break or cause I know it's going to be better for me. You, you have to know, you have the emotional intelligence to be like, okay, I need to step back, relax. Like after Ironman, I had to take a few months and like, okay, I can't push myself for a few months. Like just chill. And there's other times where, you know you should be doing it and you're just not right you're lazy you've you've developed these bad habits and it's so easy man it tell me how easy it is to like turn the tube on order some pizza like all those things that are you would consider comfort comforting and now i've i've set these rules up for myself where if i let it happen too long and, and i just know that difference between time i'm supposed to be taking off chilling refreshing re, you know regrounding um where I'm, I just get mad at myself. And so then it fires me up to then get back on track. But man, you got to be better than your environment. If you're not, it's just trouble, you know? And, and for me, it's, it's having a clear goal of understanding. I think it circles back to understanding your why, going back to that and reminding yourself of that and really tuning into that on a daily basis so that it, it, um, you start enjoying all those little hard decisions you make and they empower you to keep going because otherwise you just never end up, it takes you, everything takes you twice as long and it sort of comes back to why I think I've been successful with what I've done. And it, there was a period of time where I, I wasn't getting it done in triathlon for those four years. And it, it all came back to consistency. It was like, okay, I was consistent three or four days a week, but I then became six, seven days a week consistent with my habits and it just changed. It was like that extra 10% and it just skyrocketed my performance. I was like, I went from barely being able to, to compete to um, 
winning the trials and getting there and, and expecting to win. It was like, it, I changed the mindset from going like, okay, I'm going to just kind of qualify. I just want to get to this race. Kind of not unsure to like, it, I just, in a day I was just like, okay, listen, I'm, I just decided I'm going to win. I don't care what happens. I'm going to elevate my performance to, I'm going to win. And I just had to be greater than my environment. I had to be greater than the TV to other people's opinions to, I was sore that day. I was tired. And when my alarm went off, it's like, I had to be greater. I had to be greater than, than that soft bed. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, and that can be a challenge, you know, because right? it's, it's good to hear you say that that can be a challenge for you too. Because sometimes I think I look at yourself and Lionel Sanders and these other top, you know, the Sebastian Keenlays and the top Ironman world championship athletes. And I think, man, they, I, they must have no problem getting out of bed in the morning to go get the work in, you know, it, 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 they got to have some different gene than I do. But I don't think that's the case. I think you just are able to talk yourself out of laying in bed a little bit longer and get up and get started. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like you said, it's just a, it's a muscle that you can develop over time and you, and it does actually get easier. And I say this about workouts because people say, oh, I hate working out. I'm like, you got to get past the first 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. for the first three weeks or two weeks to where you're just like, you get in a comfort zone. Cause if it hurt like that, cause I've done it where I've taken a couple of months off and I get back working out. I'm like, this hurts, man. Who likes to do this? Yeah, you know, coming from a guy that I work out as much as I do. And so it, it's just, uh, you, you got to go through that period of pain in the first and resistance. You got to be okay with the resistance at first, um, with anything, right? Anything new you start. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Gilbert, uh, with success hotline, he says all the time as a university professor, he says the tassel is worth the hassle. You know, the tassel that's off the graduation cap. He's like, you got to focus on what you're going to, not necessarily like what you're going through. And I think it's both of those things. You got to know what your outcome is and where you're trying to go and what you're trying to accomplish. But also then, as you've said, fall in love with the process and be in the moment with what you're doing. You know, Jason, if you, if you could, you know, if you give us man some gems today around routines and, and fall in love with the process and the combination of the obsession with the intention and being greater and stronger than your environment and having a program to run and the visualization. One thing you said that I want to go back to though, is you said the accident, you said, I wouldn't change it. Elaborate on that for us. Yeah. You know what it, um, I mean, at first, right. I, I mean, I, I'm going to be a professional motocross racer. I'm, and I'm, I'm out training and I land on little, I land on my head. I hit this rock in a grass that I didn't see, fell off my bike, landed on my head straight down. I got so lucky because it compressed all the way down to my mid thoracic, severed my spinal cord there instantaneously. The first thing you're thinking like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like is my life over. I mean, I remember sitting there and the, after the accident happened and the surgeons going like, well, we got good and bad news that, you know, the, the bad news is you, you're, or you're, you're paralyzed from the chest down and you're never going to walk again. The good news is people with your circumstances here, they lead normal active lives. <laughs> like, really? Like, I don't know what that means, but yeah. normal active life. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, can I just even live alone? Can I have children? Can I, you know, can I push a wheelchair? I mean, can I live, you know, can I live by myself? Can I, and like, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm like scared. And, um, and so, yeah, absolutely. At first I was really scared. And I think, um, what I've learned over a period of time, and I don't know when this came to me, I started probably saying this about 10 years ago. So about 15 years after my accident. Um, um, first of all, I sort of saw the accident and the whole thing is like another challenge. 
I didn't, I didn't, I want, there was periods of time where I was really bummed out and there was short periods of like what I would call depression, but, but it wasn't like it ever really, it never really brought me down. Like, yeah, I was bummed, but I, I still went through my day and was happy. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it just wasn't, it, I didn't let it be a thing for me. And so then you fast forward and you figure out I'm at my best, man, when I'm racing, when I'm competing. And what I've learned is that the number of people that are like, Hey man, I can't believe you're doing that with just this, which now I don't look at it as that because I, it's just what I have, right? If I looked at it as being less than someone else, just because I'm just using my arms and it, it wouldn't be the right way to look at what, you know, it wouldn't help. That wouldn't help me in any way to think like, man, I'm, I, I'm behind the April. I already have less than anybody, someone else. Like I, I just don't think that way. And so, but so I've, I've seen that and I'm, I see how people respond to it and how it lights other people up. I'm like, man, I have so much more impact in the world because I'm able, because of this thing that happened. And yeah, you know what? I do have some bad days, but normally those have nothing to do with me in this event. Like I, I'm never going to let an event like that define my life. And so there's just, there's just, there's just no way about it. Like I'm, I'm just not going to just like I, Ironman hasn't defined me or whatever that may be. It's more about, I'm more proud of the fact that I just keep going no matter what it is, whether it's motocross, whether it's this, whether it's the two and a half year struggle I had with some health issues and still did everything I wanted to do during that period. So it, um, yeah, it's just, I think just the way you look at it, right? Because on the outside, I, I have people come up to me all the time. They're like, I'm so sorry that happened to you, man. And like, the first thing I want to do is go, you. <laughs> like, you know what? That's you awesome. have no idea. That's it's awesome. not so bad, man. I got good parking. I got good sympathy. <laughs> I'm at a good level. I, you, got, you don't even know. It just, uh, you, it just, it's the easiest thing to say, you know, it's the easiest thing. Like, and it, it's the most obvious. And again, like, I wouldn't wish it on somebody. And, and I, I don't even knock people for saying that, but it's just, if I don't have that fire inside, like I don't, I'm like, Oh yeah, you know what? It sucks. Like, where's that going to get? Yeah. Me? I ain't taking you nowhere, man. No matter what you have, yeah. no matter what is dished out to you. Like you got to make the most of what you have. Otherwise you, you're screwed. What you're going to do, let your life go away. Cause you landed on your head. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you could say that about anything. It's just, it's just this whole thing of deciding in your head. Like, you know, when, when moms are fighting for their kids or rights, or we sing it now in this environment, we're in this world, like people deciding, they're like, I decided like, this is wrong. You decide, man, you change the world. You change your life. You, you decide. And it's like, it takes you over, right? When you like, when you're fired up and your cells are just ringing and you're like, nothing is going to stop me. Right. You see that in an athlete's eyes before a competition, you're like, that guy looks poised to kill somebody right or just like you're just in that zone right it's like so for me it was like okay i just decided i was like this isn't gonna let me it's not gonna take me down it's the decisions man it's the decisions yeah. that determine your destiny and who you become right and it and who you become is dependent on a lot of factors but it's mostly dependent the, the more the factor that's the most important is you and I think that's a key thing for our listeners to take is decisions determine destiny. There's a lot of factors that come into play. And Jason Fowler is telling us that the number one factor is you and your mindset and your attitude is a decision yeah. that you choose, that you become who you want to be, not by chance, but by choice. And I think that's what's so powerful about this episode is 
what you're living, what you're modeling, what you're sharing is all about choice and how you respond to events. Because life isn't always going to be sunshine and roses, man. And, you know, but you can make the most of the situation that you're in based off of your mindset. And, you know, Jason, if you could go back, I always like to ask this question, if you could go back and remove the skull cap of, you know, the, the, the younger Jason, and you could plant the seed that you now have uncovered and put that seed inside of the brain of the younger Jason, um, what would you say to yourself? that you know now yeah. that maybe you wish. Yeah, you- I love that, man. That's a really good, that's a really good one. Uh, I would say, don't worry about what other people think or say. I would have got to where I am now quicker if I knew that I shouldn't care what other people think. And not that I don't now, I still struggle with like thinking what other people think. Cause it's just, it's just natural. Like that we're going to care about what other people think their opinions and like, and it, and there's times where I don't, but there's times where I do. And, and, and so anyways, I, I think if I could just be like, hey, you got this, man. You can do anything you want. You got to figure it out. Figure it out. I, I like not figured out like in life figured out, but like just like figured out in the sense like you believe in yourself and you're that internal, whatever that is for you that you you're like, I feel good. No matter what's happening in my world, you feel good. So I, I'd tell myself, you got it. You got this, man. Like just focus on feeling good and um and enjoy the process because man if you start focusing too much on the end result it 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 throws you off track and what i've learned now too is that just getting comfortable with i would have just been like hey get more comfortable with just the mundane of life sometimes we're like that's cool because it's the, the simplest you just said it like the smallest things that drive you so i'm like oh man if i'd known that then um the compounding effect of those little things are just what makes it. That's what makes it. One of my favorite books by Darren Hardy, the compound effect I reference a lot. I don't know. You've mentioned two great books. Uh, everything is, is figure outable. And then the compound effect. I don't know if you knew those are book titles or not, but those are, those are really good, really good books. Yeah. I haven't written them. I've seen the book titles, but I, I just, it just, I don't know. That's the why they're titled that, right? Because they just it makes so much sense to me. Yeah, you know, and, and what you're talking about should should maybe be a title of of your book, the next one that comes out. If you have, have you written a book yet? No, I, I'm just thinking about topics now. I'm yeah, like, well, want to get comfortable being uncomfortable would be a great one because I think that's kind of what you're talking about is get used to the uncomfort and accept it and and make it comfortable being uncomfortable. My mentor Ken Revisa, whose face is tattooed on my heart, used to say that all the time and you know, he would also say he was the first guy I really got around who explained what process was, you know, as an athlete, which what held me back in, in high school and in college, I think was the obsession with the outcome. And I think for a lot of athletes out there, they're obsessed with outcome and they don't control the outcome. And so what would you say to athletes out there who maybe don't enjoy the process or don't love the process, but they just want to get the outcome and see the result? What would you say to them? Man, that's a really hard one. Cause I, it's really hard. Um, I, I struggle with this at different times where I kind of got lazy. And uh, I think it was because I was, I was focused on things that were outside of myself. When you start focusing on impressing other people, doing it for other people, you then lose sight of what it is. You, for me, it was is going in and really understanding um, what was holding me back or what, or what, what was propelling me forward. And this is another part, and this is how I found you, Brian, was um, 
uh, I learned not that long ago, actually, because a lot of times I try to do it by myself. Mm. Like I can do this. I've got to figure it out. It's figure outable, right? But it's not. It's yeah. not. You or need it's a, a lot coach. faster like, with a coach. <laughs> it's a lot faster and a lot more enjoyable with a coach. The money you spend or the resources, whatever that is, will be made up a hundredfold. Easy. Easily. Um, with finding someone else that has done it and that you you gel with, or maybe you don't gel with, that just pushes you to another level. Like you need help doing it. Like you need someone else to help you. Even if you think you have it figured out, even if you're just doing it for, for just because, and you're just doing it as an amateur or whatever, like you need a coach to, to help you. And it, it will, you'll not only get it results, like especially someone working with you or right. It's like you, you'll get it in other areas of your life. You can use it. It's a life skill. You'll have it forever. And it's a compounding effect of, yeah, here we go again. It's like, it just, it sets you on a new trajectory, man. Like I wish I knew that about having a coach and you've got to figure it out. You've already studied it. Like why recreate the wheel? Not that yeah. you don't have your own flavor style and everything else that you take to it, but. Well, it's like, it's, 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 you know, again, Rob Gilbert, who's a mentor of mine with success hotline says this all the time. He says the fastest way to get to where you want to go is to hire a great coach, you know, and the great coaches made the mistakes. They've had the failures. They've had the successes and they're going to be able to give you a process and a pathway to get there. And I mean, that's what I try to do with the mental performance mastery certification is take, take the experience that I got from Ken Revisa, the experience that I got from 20 years of doing this myself and trying to say, Hey, Jason, you want to get into coaching? Let me give you everything that I've done success and failure wise to try to speed up your learning curve and get you as, you know, get you beyond where I'm at as fast as possible uh, and as effortlessly as possible, but as knowledgeable as possible because you got to want to know what you're doing. So why is it that you wanted to get into coaching? What is it about coaching that it kind of inspires you and, and kind of gets you going? Yeah. You know what? There's something inside me that um, first, I feel like I've learned so much through all my own process and yeah. wanting to share that, but, uh, but you know what? I don't think that's enough. Like I think you have to be obsessed with wanting to help others. And there's seems that you probably know this a lot more than I do is like, there's definitely a way to, to get people, the human psychology of getting people to change and make changes is really not an easy thing to do, but you have to, you have to really want that. And to, um, so anyways, for me, it's been, um, uh, wanting to grow in that area. And I think, um, selfishly enough, uh, me wanting to grow, but also knowing how powerful it is when you give someone a tool that, um, I'm focused on athletes, but it's really life school, you know, it's life skills and life habits that you develop that you'll have for a lifetime. And again, you, you look at what that can do when you learn it now. I had a coach when I was a teenager and it, it just set me on a whole new trajectory as to like what I thought was possible. And so giving other people that like, man, that fires me up to just think about how I can help others get on a new trajectory, go faster, longer, harder, um, with more joy. Like That's cool. Like, Oh, and it, it's just seeing, having failed myself so many times, like really, I, I may say fail, but like I, it's they're learning experiences, but man, I felt like failure at the time. I'll tell you, not qualifying, doing stupid things or just not giving enough effort or whatever it was like learning the hard way, like being able to get people past those things quicker, give them the tools to get through their life and be more joyful. And it all comes back to all of us. So that, that fires me up. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Cool, man. Jason, for our listeners who want to follow your career, follow your competition, 
yeah. reach out to you about coaching, speaking, because I know you do you do inspirational speaking and you do coaching and mental performance. Yeah. You know, for people who want to follow up with you, I know your your website is jasonfowler.co. Yeah. So yeah. J-A-S-O-N-F-O-W-L-E-R.co, which we'll link to in the show notes. And also yeah. you can follow Jason on Instagram. It's at Jason Fowler. Again, F-O-W-L-E-R. 13 on Instagram. Uh, are you on Twitter as well? Uh, I'm not on Twitter yet. So yeah, I've, I've got to get on there. But uh, uh, the only other thing is I'm, I'm on Facebook as well under uh, Jason Fowler 13 as well. So excellent. Yeah. But you can and, get that all through my uh, uh, my website as well. Perfect. Yeah. So the place to go, jasonfowler.co. And the place to catch Jason is at an Ironman yeah. coming close near you. You got any races on the schedule? I know everything's kind of in limbo with COVID, but if, if everything were to get back to normal, do you have another race uh, that you're eyeing? Yeah. You know what? I, I'm, I'm wanting to do the uh, Ironman again in 2021. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm literally just, I'm really starting now. I sort of haven't told anybody really, but I'm, I'm doing all the sort of back office stuff mm-hmm. right now. And like, okay, like let's get stronger. Let's sort of like, get the body ready for another cycle of doing that. I don't, I don't know how many more of these I want to do, especially when I'm focused on coaching and other things. So, I, but I'd love to, I, what I'm wanting to do is really share that process with people so they can sort of make it a learning experience for a lot of folks um, as I'm going through it. So that would be October 21. The trials would be June of 2021. And so uh, give me about a year to, to train. Um, otherwise some virtual stuff this year, I'll do the Boston marathon virtually in September and, um, that, yeah. that's happening this year, September virtual. Yeah. You know what they, it's sort of like an unofficial or they, they have it, uh, they'll give you, um, I don't know if it's an official time or what they do, but they give you your shirt and number and then you, you know, you sort of prove that you did the yeah. did distance in one day. Have you done New York city? I haven't yet. That's on the list. I haven't done it. Yeah. Wild. I mean, dude, seven, it took me longer to get from the hotel room to the start line than to do the whole race. <laughs> like 70, 80,000 runners, millions of spectators. I mean, it is wild. I've not done Boston, but I'm assuming it's probably similar. Yeah. I, I don't think there's as many people, but, um, man, that sounds like, cause I think there's like 20,000 or something like that. But anyways, that's a lot of people. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was one of, those, one of the things that like I, I would do once, you know, but I'm that guy who says, Oh, I'll do it once until I got a reason to do it. Right. And if the reason is, yeah. Hey, Jason's going to be in Kona in 2021. Now I, I can't qualify. Well, I shouldn't say I can't qualify for that. I'm, I'm a long, <laughs> long ways away from qualifying for Kona. Um, are you, do you do any, when you do your qualifier in June of 2021, where, where is that a, was that like an Ironman race where you go and you place and you qualify or yeah, so what they do is for our division, they have it, you qualify at a half Ironman and they have three options. They, they only take five people from around the world to go to the world championships for our division. Mm. So it's, re- I mean, five from Hard around the world. So it's, it's small. There's one in Australia, one slot in Australia, two in Europe, in um, um, uh, uh, Luxembourg, and then there's one qualifier in Texas, and then one past winner. And so that's it from around the world. So it's it's a small group of us that get to go. How do they pick the past winner? Lottery, or is it the one from the most? Oh, just the, the previous year, yeah. Previous, previous year. year. Okay. Previous year uh, winner. Texas. And, uh, is it in Galveston, or is it the one in, in uh, Houston Woodlands? Uh, it's Lubbock, actually. Okay. Lubbock. Lubbock. How about that? It's hot in June. Oh, yeah, it's brutal. Actually, it's yeah. happening this weekend for, um, yeah, anyways. 
Well, because I was saying I'd love I'd love to line up at an Ironman race with you, and the fact that it's a half and it's in Texas, I think I could make that happen in June of 2021. Because the one thing I know is I'll probably never line up at Kona. Um, I did the half in Kona; it was spectacular, man. That wind coming down the the Queen Highway. Oh uh, yeah, that was terrifying to me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. You did the Kona, Kona half. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Kona half. My wife and I did it. You know, you're running on the golf course there and going down that that the uh, the road, and then you turn around and come back. Yeah. I mean, just, I was getting pushed on my bike and it was, it was terrifying and uncomfortable to me. Like I felt like I was going to get pushed right into the lava field and there was nothing I could do. Is it the same way in a wheelchair where you will feel the wind pushing you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Even though uh, we have a lower center of gravity, we're a little bit faster than bikes on that downhill. For mm-hmm. those of you guys that know, there's like a nine mile downhill and you're going like 40 something miles an hour oh, yeah. and the wind's blowing. At one point, this is years ago now, but when I first started, they put an ambulance at the bottom of the hill because these the the women who were um half the weight of the body you know they're like 100 pounds soaking wet they would be getting blown off their bikes the wind is so intense and so i the, saw that happen. just sit there yeah, to saw scare people to slow them down saw a woman get blown off the course man it was <laughs> an, an, i mean oh yeah nightmarish you, know? you did that yeah nightmarish but. on course well jason it's been an absolute privilege and an honor to have you on the podcast and being from Massachusetts myself, I can, there's, there's a, there's another Ironman triathlon team in Massachusetts. I'm wondering if you've come across and they were kind of my initial inspiration to get an Ironman. Are you familiar with Dick and Ricky Hoyt? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up going to road races with him every weekend. And so uh, Dick and Ricky out there at countless races with him and did, um, Ironman with him as well. Um, yeah. Super cool. Super amazing. Cool. That, amazing group. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I remember it's yeah. like, I'm 2000, 2006. This is my, my intro into Ironman. I don't even know what an Ironman was. 2006, I'm at a leadership conference in Vermont where I'm a high school athletic director and, and Rob Gilbert, success hotline, Dr. Rob Gilbert do, is doing a seminar and he shows a video from Ironman of Dick and Ricky Hoyt. And I'm sitting there balling going, man, someday I'm going to do that. And that someday was <laughs> 10 years and a couple months later from 2006, 2016, I finally had had enough and said, I'm doing it. I'm going. And, um, that video, that video was what was kind of the tipping point for me to say, okay, I know what this is now I've seen, okay, that's what an Ironman is. Wow. That looks unbelievable. I want to do that. And we talked about the New York city marathon. I remember walking in, we I went, I was working with George St. Pierre, UFC fighter fought Michael Bisbing at Madison square garden for the 185 pound title the night before the New York city marathon. So we get done we get done with the fight back to the hotel the next morning. You're, you know, we got to the hotel at like 2 AM the next morning you're out and you're going out to, to catch the, the ferry to go over to where it starts, left the hotel at like yeah. 430. And I'm walking down. Who do I see in the lobby? Ricky Hoyt. No way. Yeah, man. It was meant to be. Like, it was like, Holy shit. This is awesome. You know? Yeah. So one of the, one of the more cool 24 hour periods in my life for sure. As, as, this has been. So thank you for taking the time to join us. Looking forward to staying in contact and the relationship moving forward. And um, obviously anybody who's listened to this, please make sure you check out jasonfowler.co, jasonfowler13 on Instagram. Jason, thanks for being with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So happy. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.